a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Welcome to uh, Global Business. Uh, hundreds of thousands have hit the streets in Argentina six weeks after Javier Millet took the president's office amid the soaring inflation issue. Plus, Tesla earnings, disappointing. What does it say about the EV market uh, as a whole? First, though, hundreds of thousands of union workers marched on Wednesday to protest the unpopular economic reforms uh, by the Argentinian president, Javier Millet. The far-right leader aims to transform the country and tackle the economic crisis. Joel Richards has more. A show of power from Argentina's trade unions, hundreds of thousands taking to the streets to protest the young government's radical economic reforms. We are very sad with the new government because barely a few days after taking office, they're implementing fierce austerity measures that hurt us and retirees. Far-right President Millet is pushing forward with a mega-decree and omnibus bill. Together, they would introduce sweeping reforms that aim to deregulate the economy and could see state-run companies privatized, moves the government says are necessary after years of overspending. Strike action was held across the country. The government's proposed reforms impact regional economies and individual sectors. Less than two months into his presidency, Javier Millet has already faced his first national strike, the first called by trade unions since 2019. Medical workers say they are already feeling the impact of austerity measures and the proposed laws would increase the costs of medicine. In the health sector, we see that there are several aspects of the reforms that hurt workers, but also patients too. Juan Gabriel Mendez is part of a group of business owners that support the reforms. He believes the power of unions in Argentina stifles growth and says the country needs a radical change in direction. We have to try a different type of government that will bring in changes. Then we have to give it time. We have had previous economic experiences which have hurt Argentina a great deal. We have to think differently. Congress is debating the bill and the government is pushing to have the legislation approved in the lower house. Meanwhile, unions and social organizations sent a message they will resist any move to rewrite the country's social contract. Joel Richards, CGTN, Buenos Aires. Concerns over Argentina's economy uh, is also playing into the outlook uh, for the region as a whole. Radius agencies Fitch is predicting a decline in growth in Latin America this year and says that growth will only hit 1.5%, down from 2.3% last year. Declines in the largest economies in Mexico and Brazil are driving the fall. Recession fears also in Argentina are influencing the outlook. There were some bright spots, though, in the data, including commodity demand, green transition, and a growing manufacturing industry. For more about the economy in Argentina, uh, we're now joined by Jilson Swartz, a professor of economics at the University of Sao Paulo. Uh, good to see you again. Uh, welcome back to the show. Last time that we talked, um, you had concerns whether or not some of these things would work. And this was before the strikes, although I'm sure it was predictable for you that there's going to be some upset people given how high inflation is. Tell us why are they striking and why particularly right now? Well, thank you for having me on the show again. And uh, this is a particularly tragic moment for Argentina because uh, it's, uh, it's something that has been uh, observed every time there's a social crisis, a populist regime can be rightist, can be leftist. But when you have this huge crisis, 
uh, inflation uh, at about 200% a year. So it's really a tragic situation. In these situations, usually the populists, they like what we economists call shock therapy. So the idea here with the shock, the idea of a shock is that you hit the country with measure, with strong measures, without giving any time for discussion, for debate. We have had this in Brazil, we have had this in Argentina as well, and other countries, the shock. But, but hang, <laughs> hang, hang on. You they just had a major election. They elected somebody they knew was going to take somewhat extreme measures. In fact, arguably, he hasn't taken all the extreme measures yet. I don't understand what those are striking, what they would like to see happen. If he doesn't take action, things get worse. If he does take action, things might get better, whether they agree or not. But they did elect this person just very, very recently. Well, there's the political side and the economic side. The political side, the problem with shocks is that you have to run over Congress, you have to run over the judiciary. This has happened already in Brazil, and it, after all, afterwards what happens is that the judicial system, the courts, they just dismantle the shock. So you have this effect in the short run, even capital markets get excited about it, because, wow, it's a shock, it's going to change overnight. But then you have this kind of uh, powering back of institutions, mainly the judiciary and the legislative. So the courts and the Congress are the political element that really makes it the idea of a shock really not feasible. On the economic side, it's not just a matter of being a shock short term or long term. It's really about the, the if it's a therapy, you need a diagnosis. So the, the main question here is, is the Argentina economy problem a problem of high wages, a problem of uh, social excesses in the distribution of income? Of course not. It's a, it's a decadent economy, just as happened in Brazil, but on a very in a larger scale, lost its industry. So the idea to to go over this, to propose a new political economy and new economic policies requires an adjustment. Okay, we can go that far. But then how can you get to raise taxes, raise tax collection, when you have such a high level of cuts in social expenditure? Right. I mean, so I mean people what, what you're speaking of is what almost every single country in one form or another go through, right? The balance between government spending, taxes, and the whole economic development. What what do you think Millet should do at this point going forward? They have a plan. They're working to implement it. Uh, it's not going to you know happen in the next two weeks. Doesn't it take time? Well, it will take time. From the point of view of the unions, the game has already begun, and the courts have already um, actually canceled out the part of the package, the part of the omnibus uh, legislation that affects wages and the social system. This has already been halted by the judiciary. So it's already, people are trying to negotiate those who are not so extreme in terms of their ultra-liberal positions in Congress are really uh, bringing Millet into a more moderate position. And of course, you have the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. It extended a very favorable loan so that Argentina has time to move on with the what, what, what grade would you give Millet right now in his first sort of few months here in office? What grade would you give him? Well, we know that it was a very, very uh, divided vote in Argentina. Half the population uh, supports him, half the population is uh, in the opposition. So it would be really hard 
to understand his position now as more than six or seven at the best, because, you know, there is some oxygen pouring into the economy from the IMF, and there is a general feeling, especially in the middle classes, that he might, might make an adjustment that will not affect the middle class, will just cut the workers' rights and social benefits. So that, that's the, the, the issue. And now the social contract, as mentioned in, in the report. Is Argentina capable of overcoming the unionized, the Peronist uh, tradition of, social, of a social contract? Or will these institutions, unions, and uh, of course the politicians fight back? Well, it's been uh, just a few weeks of him being in office. I'm sure uh, he has lots of these plans to counter, but I'm sure there'll be disagreements. Jilson, thank you very much. Good to see you again. Thank you. Thank you. Also, a major strike in Germany where commuters there are struggling with the longest railway strike in their country's history. Train drivers began a six-day walkout early Wednesday, the second railway strike this month. Analysts say this one could cost the economy over a billion dollars. Trent Murray has this from Berlin. Well, this is a scene playing out across Germany. The platforms are largely empty. The trains are parked up at the yards. And for tens of thousands of passengers, well, they're left with the headache of trying to find a way to reach their destination. That doesn't involve rail. Now, you get a real sense of the scale of the disruption when you look at the departure boards. This strike is affecting everything from high-speed services to intercity, regional, even some subway and metro services. Now, it's going to last a total of six days, and that makes it the longest strike in the history of Deutsche Bahn, and it follows months of similar, albeit shorter, periods of industrial action, which have continued to paralyse the rail network here. It all centres around a pay dispute between unions and company management. Drivers, well, they're seeking a $600 US dollar a month wage increase in order to combat inflation. They also want to have their working week reduced from 38 to 35 hours without any loss of pay. Deutsche Bahn, though, well, they say that is just not workable and has accused the union of holding it hostage. But while that dispute plays out, it's the travelling public that continues to be caught in the crosshairs. I mean, there's nothing to do about it. But we are not angry or mad, but we are just trying to find a solution for us. The staff on the train told us in, uh, when we left Stockholm that uh, we, we were only going to Hamburg and then we had to find our own way here. But uh, fortunately, we came all the way to Berlin. I'm fed up. Last week it was the farmers. I'm a farmer myself. One speaks a lot about subsidies lately. How many subsidies did Deutsche Bahn get? How many billions? And they are simply allowed to do nothing for a week. Now, with unions and Deutsche Bahn's management seemingly no closer to reaching an agreement anytime soon, there could be more pain to come for both the travelling public and the economy as a whole. That's leading to some calls here from opposition parties for German Chancellor Olaf Scholz to personally intervene. He's refuted that suggestion, though, saying it's simply inappropriate for the government to arbitrate an industrial dispute. Trent Murray, CGTN, Berlin. Several European countries reported upbeat services and manufacturing data ahead of the ECB policy meeting coming up on Thursday. Although most of the data was optimistic, the majority of numbers were still in contraction. Germany's manufacturing PMI hit a 11th month high. It rose to 45.4 this month, almost a 2% step up from the end of last year.
France's manufacturing showed similar optimism. The sector pulled itself up from a three-year low and outperformed estimates in the UK. Business confidence is uh, soaring, in fact, the strongest since the May of last year. However, manufacturing and export sales still drop to their lowest levels in three months. The world economy as we know it is about to change. Global business reports highlight emerging markets, developing countries, and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments. Fast, sharp, and insightful. Global business. Only on CGTN. Heavy gunfire tanks and troops have besieged Gaza's second largest city. Israel has intensified its attacks on Khan Yunus. The fighting has forced thousands to flee into danger. Nine people were killed in a strike on a UN shelter and a number of victims is expected to rise. John Gambrell with the AP has more from Jerusalem. The situation in the southern city of Han Yunus in the Gaza Strip is growing more and more dire. The Israeli military says that it's surrounded this city that has seen a lot of those displaced from northern Gaza flee into it. And we've seen a lot of Israeli attacks as well as militant attacks around that area. Today alone, there was an Israeli tank fire attack that hit a UN shelter. Basically, it was a UN training center that's now housing some 800 displaced people. The UN says that at least nine people at their initial count have died from this Israeli tank fire. They say that they're still trying to get to the site, but night has fallen and they were unable to get there as they were blocked in the road by an earthen berm along where the Israelis had told them to go. Now, a couple of days earlier, there actually had been another attack on this UN facility that killed six people. The UN is calling for these attacks to stop. The United States State Department also has expressed its criticism of attacks on UN facilities. But all this is coming as this just attacks intensify there in Han Yunus. In Rafah, which is just on the border with Egypt, we understand that a mosque was hit today by suspected Israeli fire, killing five people. And these attacks are just going to continue as the Israelis press on their offensive against Hamas there. Meanwhile, we've seen a new attack by Yemen's Houthi rebels targeting the Bab al-Mandeb Strait. That's that strait that separates the Gulf of Aden from the Red Sea, and it's very, very crucial for international shipping. We understand that two ships that belong to the company Maersk that's based in Denmark were attacked. Now, this attack saw missiles be fired at these ships that were carrying cargo for both the U.S. Defense Department and the U.S. State Department. There was a U.S. warship that was escorting these vessels through that area. It apparently launched countermeasures to try to strike these munitions that were flying in the air. It knocked some of them down. One of the missiles, however, got through and exploded near one of the boats. However, there was no damage on board that vessel, nor were any of the crew on that vessel hurt. This comes after the U.S. and the United Kingdom have launched numerous airstrikes on Yemen, targeting Yemen's Houthi rebels to try to take out missile launchers, drone launch sites, as well as missile depots hidden underground. Now, the Houthis insist that their attacks are going to continue. They say these attacks are aimed at stopping Israel from having its war on the Gaza Strip. But as time has gone on, the attacks have become more and more tenuously linked to the ongoing war. But 
It has raised real concerns among analysts and others that this Israeli-Hamas war could grow into a regional conflict. I'm John Gambrell with the Associated Press for CGTN in Jerusalem. The Houthi attacks that John just mentioned are also causing shipping delays and price increases. Major shipping companies are diverting their routes. The IMF calculates that the Suez Canal passages are off by 63% from last year, while the Cape of Good Hope passages are up 70%. Egypt's Suez Canal revenues are down 40%, uh, another hit for Egypt's economy. They're losing to foreign exchange since the canal fees are paid in foreign currency. But it's reported that lower value shipping, such as bulk carriers, uh, shipping grain, coal, and ore, are transiting the Red Sea. That area now being patrolled, as you heard, by the U.S. Navy and others. The U.S. reports has carried out fresh attacks on targets in Yemen. Our correspondent, Saban McCall, has more. The United States military says its latest strikes destroyed two Houthi anti-ship missiles that were aimed at the Red Sea and were preparing to launch. The attacks came a day after the U.S. and the United Kingdom launched a second round of joint strikes against the rebel group in Yemen. Our focus here is not to escalate or get into a conflict with the Houthis. Our goal is to prevent uh, these continued attacks against the international community and international shipping transiting the Red Sea. The U.S. says there has not been a Houthi attack since January 18th, suggesting the action is having an impact. But the Houthis say the strikes will not go unpunished or unanswered. The attacks in the Red Sea have disrupted global trade, and there is growing concern over the widening turmoil in the Middle East. China says it's deeply concerned about the tensions in the Red Sea. China calls for a halt to the harassment and attacks on civilian ships and urges all relevant parties to avoid fanning flames in the area and jointly ensure the safety and security of the route in the Red Sea. Meanwhile, Iraq has accused the United States of violating its sovereignty and contributing to an irresponsible escalation of violence. That's after it launched separate strikes on three sites linked to militant groups backed by Tehran. The U.S. says its actions were necessary after an American airbase in Iraq was targeted by Iranian-backed militants on Saturday, leaving four soldiers with what have been described as traumatic brain injuries. But Iraq says Washington should focus on putting more pressure on Israel to halt its offensive in Gaza. Shavon McCall, CGTN. The world economy as we know it is about to change. Global business reports highlight emerging markets, developing countries, and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments. Fast, sharp, and insightful. Global business. Only on CGTN. Welcome back to Global Business. Tesla reporting their uh, earnings after the close today. They missed estimates uh, with amid growing global competition in the EV market. John Terrett has this from New York. 
Tesla is another company that is watched so very, very closely by Wall Street. It is one of the great corporations of our era. Going in on Wednesday to its earnings, Tesla shares were down by between six or seven tenths of one percent. They've been up about 100 percent in the course of the last year, although down about 15 percent year on year in recent weeks. With Tesla, it's all about delivery numbers. They delivered in 2023 1.8 million, but that wasn't enough to please Wall Street. They were looking for more. Tesla's also had to deal with a bout of very cold weather in the United States from Chicago in the north all the way down to the south. And we've seen Tesla vehicles and other EV vehicles parked up and abandoned at public charging stations because the charging stations don't work. And that's a big concern about EVs. People are worried about being caught out with no charge late at night far from home. Generally speaking, globally, there is an EV demand pushback going on or a slowdown. And Tesla has to worry about very strong competition in the world from the likes of BYD of China and NIO as well. On the other hand, they have the Cybertruck coming out now. A lot of people are very interested in that and seek to buy it if they possibly can. The thing about Tesla is that when you invest in the company, you're not investing in the products. There's nothing wrong with the vehicles. There's nothing wrong with SpaceX. You're really investing in the genius that is Elon Musk. But on Wednesday evening, the news was not good. Earnings per share was a miss. 71 cents, not 74. The revenue, 25.17 billion, not 25.87 billion. And the gross margin, 17.6%, not 18.1%. Their cryptocurrency holdings remain unchanged as well. As a result of that, Tesla shares down by between 4 and 6% in the immediate aftermath of that news. A lot depends on what Elon Musk has to say on the call, of course, as always. John Terrence, CGTN, on the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Tesla has also told its suppliers it will start production of a new mass market EV codenamed Redwood uh, in the middle of 2025, according to people familiar uh, with this issue. The new EV is being described as a compact crossover. Tesla is hoping to compete with the growing number of inexpensive EVs, especially those made by China and BYD, which took over as the world's number one EV maker in the last quarter of 2023. For more on Tesla's earnings and the EV world, uh, joining us is Carl Bauer, executive analyst at iccars.com. Good to see you, Carl. Um, I like that you see cars, but I'm not sure Tesla is seeing profits or success in some of their forays. It's been, it's been a tough last couple of quarters for them. Yeah, it really has. And you just can't get past a few basic uh, realities that Tesla was really the big dog in the US and global EV market for so many years. And it, it no longer is. You've got BYD and a whole lot of other European and US companies that are aggressively jumping into this market space. And if you look at Tesla's market share, while it still remains extremely high, it falls every quarter. So you know more competition is coming. And we know that um, there's maybe been a little bit of a breath taken right recently in uh ev sales and sales growth right when when, when tesla came on the market they were the only game in town in fact you could argue they essentially built the entire ev marketplace and convinced i suppose all the other manufacturers that this was the future so the other manufacturers then said well if that's the case we're gonna make evs and it's ironic that all these recent price cuts are in response to whether it's demand or other competition. The one industry that Tesla basically sort of built, they're now dealing with the competition that they encouraged. 
Exactly. And that's the, that's the reality that you just can't get away from. You know, you listen to the call and as, as is always the case, Elon's got a lot of predictions. Tesla could be the most valuable company. We could have the most advanced AI. You know, we could, we could have the best cars in the world. These are all nice thoughts and, and great pictures that he paints, but we don't know. They all could happen. What do we know is happening? Well, we know more competition is coming globally and, and even in the U.S. And, and, and in China and every con country. And we know that EV sales, at least in the U.S., appear to be maybe plateauing, too. We, you know, well, that's our a, company, that's a really good point. If this was a couple of years ago, all our buddies would be talking about how they want to buy a Tesla or the new model that's coming out. I don't hear anything from anybody over the past few months to say, I want to buy a Tesla. And I'm starting to wonder, has Elon Musk, with all his personal stuff aside, lost perhaps some edge when it comes to public opinion? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been kind of his gift, right? Was his high profile genius, as people say, and, and the idea that it, you're not really investing in Tesla, you're investing in Elon, seemed like a positive thing up until maybe a couple uh, years or certainly a couple quarters ago. And now maybe investing in Elon is something more and more people don't want to do for one of many reasons. And you combine that again with the greater competition. And again, I just sense that there's a market kind of pause now or a consumer pause reevaluating things. We saw the Chicago issue last week when it got cold. Uh, our indications are just that people are starting to kind of take a second breath on whether or not they're as interested in EVs as they were six or 12 months ago. Let's talk about China very quickly. A lot was made when Tesla first came to China. Elon had his dance and big party, um, a big blowout. Prices were high. Demand was high. Now, after no numerous price cuts, demand is dropping, number of price cuts, which ultimately kills margins. And then recently they had this break problem, I don't know if you're familiar with it, and a recall and people were getting angry in China, specifically with Tesla. And one has to wonder, can Tesla say their foray into China has been success successful at this point? Exactly. I mean, they made, you know, the worst thing about having a high growth, super successful launch in a country like China is that you set an expectation, right? And you kind of have almost nowhere to go but down unless you can somehow maintain that kind of crazy momentum that he had a couple of years ago. And again, with BYD and so many other companies in China really jumping in aggressively, they're pricing, they're pricing advantages, a lot of people feel like, and newer product too. Don't forget that Tesla's product, he's trying with the Model 3, he's done some revisions, but we really need to see updated product, like substantially updated product. And he's talking about getting that going. It's supposed to come sooner or later, but we never know really what Elon's timeline is. He always makes makes dates up and time frames up and usually doesn't meet them. Uh, it's it's There's a lot of fuzziness out there in the future for Tesla specifically, and it makes people nervous. And that's what I think the, the latest numbers and the stock price reflect. All right. Uh, appreciate your time on this. Uh, good to see you. For everybody here in Studio B, I'm Phil Yen, and you have yourself a great day.